0: Hello, all of you survivors of Suck. Happy New Year. It's finally 2021. This is going to be our year. You deserve it. I'm so proud of you for being here. And thank you for coming back to the Surviving the Suck podcast. We have an amazing guest today. One of my, honestly, huge inspirations, Sarah Stevens. Absolutely incredible, phenomenal human being. Just, I'm going to leave it at that. This is episode seven with Sarah Stevens. Before we get started, I wanna provide a trigger warning. This episode contains some information about different mental health problems, suicidal moments, body acceptance, all those things. So if you're struggling right now, please check in with yourself. Check in with other people if you need help. Um, But most importantly, just take care of you. That's why we're here, it's because of you. We love you, we care about you. This is episode seven with the Sarah Stevens. Hello to all of you surviving the suck. I hope you're all doing well, surviving the holidays, and you know what? It's okay if all you can do right now is merely survive. Um, But I hope that you hang in there because we do have an amazing guest today. We have the Sarah Stevens with us. Again, I'm emphasizing the the because this woman has been my role model for a long time and she's sitting here laughing at me, but it's so true. I probably would not be here without her. She taught me how to survive the suck this year. And really, I met her through her project um, called The Beautiful Project, which I'm going to have her tell you a little bit about. But also, she helped kind of coach me through the TED process and has just been a phenomenal light and human being. And I just can't say enough good things about you, Sarah. So I'm going to let you (laughs) introduce more of yourself so people get kind of a little bit more of who you are. Um, So without further ado, who is Sarah Stevens? What is The Beautiful Project? And what is life, your life about?
1: Hmm. Uh, first of all, I need to say everybody needs a Haley to grieve as a hype girl because <laughs> that intro, I felt like I should have music or something. That was, that was amazing. Your intro um,
0: Oh
1: uh, yeah. I need to figure that. What is that walk-in music or something? Anyway, at any rate, uh, I am Sarah Stevens, the founder of the beautiful project. Um, I am also one of the things I say about myself is that I'm a fat bodied believer in a big full life. I'm Uh, mama to three teenagers. I'm a wife to a wife. I am a woman who is just surviving a whole host of things, recovering from a whole host of things, some of which I'm sure will become relevant to our conversation, um, but all of which really taught me how to be more of me in my life. Um, I mentioned The Beautiful Project, so I'll say a little bit about what The Beautiful Project is. The Beautiful Project is a storytelling collective inviting women back to their bodies and home to themselves to create a world where every body belongs. It started as a love letter to my then 16 year old daughter. So this was a few years ago, I founded it in 2018. At the time I was really starting to wake up to this idea that maybe my entire life didn't have to be about changing the appearance of my body. And I was uh, approaching my 40th birthday so literally, I mean, you know, based on averages, probably half of my life I had spent in this space of obsession about my body being different. Um, I pretty much waited for every good thing to happen to me until I got that ideal body. And uh, it seemed that my body was probably pitted against me the entire time, or at least that was how I saw it. So. I went through a series of experiences that started to kind of wake me up to this idea that maybe life was bigger than that, I mean, just possibly, and I wasn't quite sure yet, but then I had this experience um, with a doctor that was kind of like a pivotal crossroads for me, and in that experience, the details are not necessarily relevant, but in that experience, I thought about my daughter, and I thought, how would I want her to choose in this moment? And the decision was clear. I would want her to choose herself. I'd want her to choose to understand that her wellness was about more than her weight. And I knew that if I wanted her to choose that, I was gonna have to try to create a world that would tell her that, uh, maybe even in my absence. I also realized that my voice alone wouldn't be enough. And so that was where I came up with this idea that the Beautiful Project would be a chorus of courage that we would have more than one voice to sing at this same message, that women are here to do more than shrink. Uh, So that was 2018. Uh, Originally, I just thought I was gonna have like a prettier blog, but that isn't how it turned out. I ended up having three platforms for The Beautiful Project, three storytelling platforms, a blog, a podcast, and a photo gallery, because there are lots of ways for us to tell our body stories. Uh, over the last few years, we have brought together hundreds, safely hundreds of women um, to tell the stories of their bodies, to try to shift the ending, to write a new ending to this story that women carry about their bodies. Um, we are getting ready to launch, to relaunch the podcast. COVID kind of did what COVID did to lots of people and bumped us um, to a different course. I was going to say off course, but I actually don't think that's what happened. I don't think we're off course at all. I think that it just charted a new one. So 2021 is going to bring some, some exciting shifts. I think I'm really intentionally gathering women who have a different story than my story. So I want, um, and in particular, I want to center the stories of black and brown people. I, I, I want that to be the central Um, conversation that we have at the Beautiful Project in 21. So exciting things coming. It is, you asked what my life is about. Is that what the question, that third part was? Yeah. Yeah. Um, The best way for me to probably summarize that is uh, I want my life to be about holding up a mirror so that other people um, see who they really are. I want to hold up this different kind of mirror, not the one that you hold up in the bathroom when you're by yourself. Like, mm-hmm. I want to hold up the mirror and then be there to tell you what I see. Um, I want that. I want that specifically for women, um, because I am a woman, and I also understand the way that our relationship with our bodies impacts what who we are in the world but I certainly want that for all people as well. I just, I want to hold up the mirror and then tell you what I see. And what I see is almost, not almost, it is certainly different than what
0: you've been taught to see about yourself. Oh my goodness. Sarah, you need to be on Oprah or something, because I'm just sitting here listening to you talk. I'm like tearing up, just so beautiful. Oh my gosh. Like everything that you said, that was the most I feel like I just experienced something amazing. but um, <laughs> Well, I think
1: that's great. I'm going to sip my for... tea while you have your
0: experience. <laughs> no, that was so beautiful. I love, I love, I love how you said, um, hold up a mirror, because for many years, a quote that I always kept with me is, you should be someone who doesn't hold up a bar for other people to measure up to, hold up a mirror so they can see more of themselves. And so mm. that has always been in my heart. So when you said, I want to be someone who holds up a mirror, I just was like, oh. Sarah. And it's, it's beautiful because you're right. I, f- I feel that, you know, society or just the way that I've even been brought up, I've seen, I have always been taught to look at my body a certain way. And it, and it wasn't necessarily the way that I was, you know, raised, but it was the expectations that were put on me at school or, you know, just society. I mean, social media nowadays, it's like, you know, I had a conversation on one of the previous episodes about how I had to unfollow some girls that I were following because they had abs and for a long time that like really bothered me Mm
1: -hmm. and
0: every time I would see it I was just comparing myself and so I was like I I just need to follow you for a while until I get over this or I figure it out you know and so I I love your message I love what you're all about Um, you know and and you talked a little bit about some of the things that you've been through some mm-hmm. of the suck, you know, that we talk about on this podcast, for those of you who have listened, you know what the suck is, it's hardship, it's mental health, it's life's unforeseen circumstances where sometimes you just don't think you're going to survive a certain situation or a circumstance. And so Sarah, I'm really curious to know for you, what's something that, you know, you had to go through that was the suck for you and how did you survive that? What was it like for you?
1: Mm-hmm. I, uh, I really do believe that people with the, um, that adversity carves out these, this depth in us, you know, um, that, but it's like carving out anything. It's a painful process in the carving, you know, and what it does though, is it creates different depth. that allows us to stretch a little more in my life. Certainly hasn't been an exception. I, I think to that rule, probably the things that I am most Proud of maybe or just the things that are most uh true to who I am today came as a result of surviving the suck of walking through it mm-hmm. um just for the sake of brevity because it's one podcast and one episode because I could honestly tell probably a lot of stories I yeah. I grew up in a um in a home with an active alcoholic at the time and he's in and out of recovery or he is in recovery now but uh, and he was for most of my adolescence, he was in and out of recovery. So I was the oldest child in that family and while there were many good things about growing up, our our childhood was also marked by some of those pretty basic realities of growing up in an alcoholic family. Um, I would say though that the, the, the period for me that it was most um, that it was the lowest low that also came with the biggest transformation was in my 20s. Um, So I got married when I was 24 and I had uh, three kids in pretty quick succession. So we had Alana when I was 24 and then 18 months later we had Aiden and then two years later we had Gabe. So I had three kids under the age of five. By the time I was 28, I was a part-time youth minister and a stay-at-home mom. Um, My now ex-husband, uh, he and I studied at the same college. We both studied theology and philosophy. So we had this um, pretty enormous commitment to religion really is what it was in hindsight. And so I had this life that I had created that I felt like, I mean, literally we had the like white house, black shutters, red door, the picket fence. I had created this picket fence, which was really important to me coming from this jacked up dysfunctional childhood. I was, really working hard to do the opposite thing. Mm. So through a series of events that I don't share a lot of detail about because it's not just my story, it's also my ex-husband's story. And I try to have some boundaries around the details, but through a series of events, that marriage ended and very painfully, and it ended very painfully for me. So um, my ex-husband then uh, very much disappeared for a couple of years, um, so I was making $11,000 a year with three kids.
0: Wow.
1: And uh, so as you might imagine, we walked through the experience of losing everything, everything. Um, the kids, it's interesting today to talk to the kids about it because um, the oldest would have been about five at the time. And so she remembers little parts. And of course the youngest has virtually no memory of it, but I, I mean, they're memories that I'll never shake, right? So we lost we lost our home, uh, we had to live with family members for months at a time. So I'm dragging these three little kids around. I'm trying to figure out another way to make money. And then on top of that, I'm grieving the loss of this relationship that I thought would be the, the relationship that I would take to the grave. Uh, and so there was little room to grieve because I was surviving. I was just trying to get us through. Um, I took a job making $10 an hour, at a local health system. I was registering patients in the ER, working second and third shift, just literally trying to feed the kids. Um, And I look back at that phase of my life and the darkness in that place. I think part of what helped me survive that was that I had three kids to survive for that was operating there, but also, honestly in some ways i think part of what helped me too is i had gotten so like laser focused on on the basics like shelter food clothing how do we get these three things so the actual emotional weight of that didn't catch up with me until later so um it it took me quite some time to feel the impact of that so as my life kind of started to come back together I was able to pull parts and pieces together. I got a promotion at work. We were able to get a house on our own. We're just kind of building these layers. And really it was then, it was like, as soon as I had the opportunity to shift from survival mode and then try to imagine what it would be like to live again, that was actually where the real heavy emotional weight came for me. Um, And I responded to that the way that probably I had grown up learning to respond. I responded to that by partying a lot um, I really didn't want to feel any of the things that I was feeling it was like a it was like somebody had dammed up all those emotions for mm-hmm. those months during survival and then the they just all of it broke through at one time and I didn't really know I had I didn't have the skill or the resources honestly um, I was a single mom with three kids I didn't have a lot of things available to me in order to navigate that and so um, Probably the darkest moment of that, I remember, I, there are parts of it I don't remember, honestly. I'd been out that night, and I saw my ex-husband out that night and with a new partner. And my, my response at that point in my life was to just blackout drink, honestly. That's how I responded to those, that kind of an emotion. And I'm not entirely sure how I got home. Um, I know I didn't drive, so <laughs> yay. Yay. <laughs> uh, but I don't know exactly how I got home. And that next morning, actually, uh, this was like my, this was an awakening moment for me. I woke up the next morning. Um, and I uh, take medicine for my thyroid and I woke up with the thyroid medicine, the pills all around me. Like, like I had tried to take them or didn't, I don't know. I honestly don't remember. I have zero recollection. I just know what I woke up to. And, um, and I, the truth is that I didn't really want to survive. That I couldn't see, I couldn't see what survival. I, I couldn't see past um, what I lost. I just couldn't see past it. I couldn't see another kind of life for me. I had a plan, and it was a really good plan. I mean, it was like it was the plan we're all told that we're supposed to shoot for, you know. Uh, you know, husband and two point eight kids and. We actually had a black lab as well. I mean, it was ridiculous how, like, <laughs> idealistic the whole thing was. Um, so uh, that was the darkest place. I, I'd love to tell you, too, the next day I woke up and I was like, I'm done drinking and let's get help. And not so much the case. I think, the, I think what kicked in at that point was some survival instinct around, like, wow, I'm, far more, I'm in far more pain than I realize. And I have, I don't want to, I don't really want to die. I mean, I thought about who would raise these babes that are, at that point, raising them too was an extraordinarily heavy responsibility. I never planned to have three kids on my own. That was not the plan. Um, But something else kicked in that next day and uh, the healing, the, 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 like digging Myself out of that was a long, slow, excruciating process that has paid off in absolute dividends today. I have a life, I, you know, I said what was so painful to me was I couldn't imagine what my life would be. And today I can say the same thing and go, I could have never imagined this life. Like it's the same sentiment. Just switch the lens a little bit. I could have never imagined this life. It is beyond my imagination, um, and I would have missed it. I would have missed the whole thing. So um, that that is kind of my like clearest surviving the suck story.
0: Wow. Wow. I. I love how you said the lens shifted mm-hmm. because I think I was thinking about my own life too because you said you, you couldn't imagine a different life and you also couldn't see past the loss. Mm-hmm. That I think speaks so true to so many people because I feel like we all have this plan of how our life's supposed to be and then things happen or, you know, who knows? I mean, there's just things that pop up all the time and then you're forced to survive. And it's I mean, kudos to you for making it through those dark moments because I, I was thinking about just even me in in your shoes. And I was like, man, I don't know if I could have done that. I mean, I'm mm-hmm. sure there were moments for you where you just wanted to be like, fuck this, like I'm out. Oh. I said I mean, I have these like
1: memories of just completely coming undone. Like mm-hmm there was this night in my bedroom before we lost the house um i loved that house like we had poured anyway we had poured a lot into this into making this home for our kids and i had just redone the master bedroom right before everything came apart and i mean i remember laying in that room and like the depth of rage <laughs> rage that I had. And especially for women, I, and men too, in lots of ways, I don't think we are given a lot of permission around our anger. I, I think that that's actually part of what gets stopped up and turned into despair is we have, we have so little coaching or modeling for how to express healthy anger. Like how, how do I, how do I have a healthy expression of anger? So for me, anger, anger, still an emotion that I am not quite sure how, had to handle all the time because I don't want to, I don't want to destroy things. And anger feels so destructive to me. But when we don't express it, right, we just, we internalize it. And so what does it do? It becomes internally destructive. It breaks things down somewhere. And so I remember like almost like laying on this rage about this life that I had now been handed that I didn't want. It was not the life I signed up for. Um, Yeah. So I think that there were lots of moments where I said, fuck this. I mean, yeah. this is not what I signed up for. Mm-hmm. And then there were always tiny, I had to, well, I didn't always have to look for him even. There were always these tiny things that went, okay, maybe not for the rest of your life, but maybe for 15 more minutes. Can you do it for 15 more minutes? Can you do it for the next hour? Mm-hmm. And And then just over time, and today, I didn't mention this, but today, I I haven't had a drink in two and a half years. And um, today, that's actually in lots of ways how I handle that, like in moments of um, where I still am confronted with an emotional experience that feels beyond my capacity to handle it. My instinct is still to numb it, right? That's just, I want to go, I don't want to feel this. So the question I can ask myself today is, well, I don't have to, I don't have to feel it forever, but can I, can I manage this for another 15 minutes or an hour? And then the next thing I know, I'm like, oh, it passed. And that's another thing, the letting it move all the way through you. Mm. I talk about this a lot too. I think the other thing that caught, for me at least, that causes a, just a fuck ton of despair is when I try to, um filter that experience or move it quickly, right? Like, I don't want to feel this and I got I got to do something with it. And what I've discovered as I've aged really is I'm actually far more capable of sitting with unpleasant emotions so long as I just give myself permission to do it. Like, and it, it pass, It it just does. It passes. All of it passes. If you would have asked me the day that I, I remember kneeling on the floor in my living room with this empty house and I remember watching, you know, in an empty house when there's light coming through a window you can see dust in the air. And I mean, I was on my knees in this home that I, I wanted to, I wanted this to be like the home that was our home forever. And I remember believing that that moment would never, it would never cease to feel like it was gutting me.
0: Mm.
1: And, and it it doesn't feel like it's gutting me anymore. It's sad for sure. But then I look around at the home I have today and it's one I couldn't have imagined. You know, I couldn't have both.
0: Wow. See there's something powerful about letting that moment pass through you. I like how you said mm-hmm. that because I've always been taught, you know, in, in my suicidal moments that they're just moments. I've always mm-hmm. been taught that and it's, you know, and the stuff that I've even done through therapy, I've had therapists tell me that, but it it's different hearing it from you know, someone who's been in the suck and you, I I almost can feel that pain in that moment of just feeling like something's gutting you and you you think there's no way this is ever going to stop. Like, it just feels like, and and people have always told me, you know, just, it's so easy to look at your life from, you know, I just got to get through this year. I got to get through the next year. And it's like, just take it day by day. You're not guaranteed tomorrow. I mean, who, you know, who knows what's, what's going to happen. So I, I love, love, love how you described that feeling because it's so true. If you can just let it pass through you and just continuously do that. And sometimes that's just surviving is at least I think anyways, um, you know, waking up every day and just letting it pass through you and mm-hmm. just getting through that moment.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I actually use something similar when I talked to women about their bodies. And, and one of the things that was really critical for me in healing my relationship with my body was, uh, learning how to sit with the judgment that, that, the, that I, I'm going to, I've been taught when it comes to my body, I've been taught nothing but judgment for my entire life. So the idea that I'm going to wake up every day and have this warm, wonderful, loving experience about the body that I'm in is bullshit. That's not going to happen. Mm-hmm. And, and what happens if I expect that and it doesn't happen is that I think then that I'm failing at that too. Uh, uh-uh. uh, That's not going to be a reality. This relationship with my body is like any relationship. And there are really, really beautiful moments, and there are really unpleasant moments. And the trick of this thing is being present to both of those things and understanding that both of them will pass. The really warm moments are going to pass. Mm. So are the really awful moments. It all passes.
0: Yes, it's like that quote: "This too shall pass." I never yes. understood that. Yeah, yeah. I understood that's that. It's literally everything.
1: Mm-hmm. And so, if I, if I, if I can understand that too about the war, about the moments where I feel where I feel integrated and well and whole, if I remember too, not in a morbid way, but if I remember, this will pass too. That then, when it does, it's a lot less of a like, "Oh my God, what's wrong with me?" It's a, I'm failing. I'm not well enough. No, that's just we're just. Feelings are transient. They move. They're supposed to. It's like, it's like how we're wired, um, which is tough, I think, because we don't really want to talk about that part, that good things are going to pass too, but they are. And the point is to develop, to be present to all of it, to develop the skills to move through it. That's, mm-hmm. I think that's, that's why.
0: Yeah. I love how you said be present to all of it. And I always think the balance is so important because I, I get so hung up in the good stuff. And yeah. then you want to hang on to that forever, and it passes. So then it's it's almost like you're setting yourself up to just literally fall down. Um, yes, but I do the same thing. I am a I'm a lover of all the positive, fluffy, yeah, warm,
1: snuggly emotions.
0: <laughs> Me too. <laughs> Me too. And it's, you know, oh my gosh, I just I could listen to you talk for <laughs> like I've told you this before, but I feel like when you speak, it's like poetry that just flows out mm. of and. I love reading your stuff on your blog, which by the way, if you haven't, you know, read any of Sarah's stuff, you should, um, the beautiful project is phenomenal. I was been reading through some of your blogs recently and just ugh, like, so good. So good. <laughs> but you know, you talk a lot about taking up space. That's kind of your thing. Mm-hmm. And I want to hear more about that. Like, what mm-hmm. does that mean to you to mm-hmm. take up space?
1: Well, one of the things that can get a little um, watered down, I think, in any body positive work, so uh, just a brief history about body positivity, it was actually started by queer fat black women Mm -hmm. um, as a social justice movement about rights. It wasn't, it didn't start as like the Instagram belly roll challenge where like thin women are contorting their bodies to make it appear like they have belly rolls and then feel like I feel good about. That's not the point. That was never the point. The point was to create a world where everybody belongs. And so the point was that we could move past this, um, obsession with shrinking. And, and I think that's critical because I do talk a lot about my body and its shape and size, because I think most women can relate to that and we can start there. But the truth about my own life was that I spent, so I'm a finite person with finite time and resources, a picture it literally like a pie, okay? And if 70% of that time, energy, and resource is going toward figuring out the macros in my meal or trying to figure out the next diet or planning how I'm going to exercise that day to make up for the cookies I had last night, my life was one constant like ledger, mm. calories in, calories out. of this brain, this heart, this soul was being poured into being smaller. There's literally no way that that didn't impact every other thing in my life, right? So it's, in fact, I've had to do some grief work around the time lost, you know, that, um, that there were 25 years of that kind of obsession. And so when I, when I tell women, take up space. Yes, I am talking about your body. I am talking about understanding that that what we've been taught about wellness and weight is bullshit, and you just have to dig a little bit at the research to find it. I I am coming at those realities. I am coming at fat phobia. I am coming at diet culture, but I'm also asking people to not stop there, to understand that when I give my body permission to be who she is. Then I give myself permission to be who I am in my voice, my emotions, my ambition, my goals, my dreams, all of it gets to take up space in the world. And I think women do internally feel this. I mean, you talk to women about if they make it to the seat at the table in the executive boardroom, they talk about how they have to be strategic about what they share because they don't want to be perceived a certain way. Every woman I know is walking around terrified of the perception of who she is and is it too much or not enough? That's always our fear. Am I too much or am I not enough? If we're all asking the same question, um, then we've been lied to and we're in the middle of a system that's lying to us. It's not possible that all of us are too much or not enough, right? Right. So, that invitation to take up space is yes about your body because I think that that's where it starts, but it's not where it ends. Uh, it ends with you being all of you in the world, whatever that means.
0: Mm. Oof, I love that. And I, I do have to say, for those of you listening, um, Sarah honestly taught me how to do that because I, I remember the first time I showed you my TED outline. And you just were like, you know, it doesn't have enough you in it. And I was like, what do you mean? Like, I'm not supposed to talk about me. And you were like, no, like use your voice, even if it shakes. And that has always stuck with me because, you know, it's so easy to just, it's so easy to feel like you're always going to be too much or never enough, exactly like you said. And who gives Mm -hmm. a shit? You know, who gives a shit if you're not enough or you are too much, you know, it's I just I constantly am, am fighting this battle. I feel like, um, especially when I'm speaking or I'm sharing my own story, is you know the perception and what are people going to think? What are they going to say? And at the end of the day, it doesn't matter if it's your truth, right? Like I, I feel like you you were the one who taught me that. So thank you. That's for pretty that. cool.
1: Yeah, I'm glad I'm just glad you know it because it is it's absolutely true. And I have to remind myself. I mean, just last week I shared something on Instagram and. Uh, in hindsight, the language that I used, I was personally pretty triggered at the time by it's a long story, but so I posted with probably a little sharper language than I usually do. And I got called out by a few women. Um, and I had to like, you know, take that in and go, well, is that so, so here's my point. I didn't go, oh my God, there are four women who are mad at me. Should I take that down? Was I too much for them? Or I didn't go. I have an audience of eating disorder people who are in eating disorder recovery. So, am I going to be enough for them? I just I I got really intentional about taking the feedback and sitting with the uncomfortable feeling of it because it was uncomfortable, and thinking what's enough for me?
0: Mm.
1: What does it mean for me to be all of me in this space? And so, what it meant was that the post stayed up. I shifted some of the language so that it was less sharp toward a group of people because that really wasn't what I was intending, but it directed my criticism toward diet culture, which was the point of the post. Um, so it was, I mean, on some level, I, I'm, I need to be teachable, but also I'm not selling out because it makes other people uncomfortable. I'm not doing that. Um, so, you know, finding that balance is the thing and I wanted to fight in that Instagram, in that, on that post. I did. I mean, I had to check my instincts where I was like, I mean, I can eviscerate people with words if I want to. Right. I can, but just because it can, doesn't mean it should. Um, so I love that you know that that's the point of that story. I love that you know that. And I anticipate that like most of us, you'll spend the rest of your life practicing Mm
0: -hmm.
1: and sometimes realizing, um, I tried to be bigger because I felt like other people expected it of me and, or I tried to be smaller because other people expected it of me. I think this is a lifelong practice of, I talk a lot about coming back to your body and home to yourself, right? These are two, um, there are two separate things but they run parallel tracks. And really that's what I'm talking about is I'm accountable to me at the end of the day. And, and that's how I take up space, like rigorous accountability to myself and, and understanding too, that I'm simultaneously developing a lens that is kind to myself as well, because I can't have all the accountability in the world without some kindness, so I'm excited you know it, and I can't wait to see what you do with it.
0: Oh, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm working on it. It's a work in progress, but it, oh, yeah, yes, yeah, you, know, you talk about so many things that just speak so true to me, especially the Instagram thing, because mm-hmm. I have posted stuff on Instagram or Twitter and Facebook and been attacked about it, like, there was, um, I don't want to, I guess, say attacked, but it's just a conversation. And, you know, there was a post that I had made about, I was using the term mental health problems instead of mental illness because that's just what I prefer to say. And there were people in my comments who were saying that I needed to use the term mental illness because they felt like I was not stigmatizing it, but watering it down almost. And so... kind of like you, I had to take a step back and I, I felt like people were attacking me and I don't, that wasn't the case. It just, that was my perception and their perception was trying to have this conversation with you. And so I had to take a step back and like really look at that. But also like you said, recognize that you don't have to shift yourself and change yourself to please other people. And I think for so long, especially as women, I think we're always, always taught that just please everyone around you. Yeah, about everything, literally everything.
1: It's one of the reasons I talk a lot about women learning to take up space with their own. I talk a lot about um, how you take up space with your own desire or the idea that you get to have that pleasure is available to you in any way, shape, or form that you interpret that because we are taught that it's our job, our role is to be of service. And I see my life as I want my life to be partially one of service, but but service to myself first. That's, I am, I need to treat myself like I, you know, one of the things I do often is I'll refer to my body as she, um, or her. I other my body because that's the, that allows me then access to the how to be kind to myself. If I can other myself, I know how to treat other people. Um, And that's been enormously healing for me to see it that way, to shift that lens that way.
0: Yeah. I've someone told me years ago, and this never made sense to me until now, is if you allowed a friend of yours to talk to yourself the way that you talk to yourself, would you still be friends with that person? Uh And I think about that all the time because, you know, I'm a perfectionist and so I expect myself to always be perfect. So I will get really, really hard on myself when I slip up or I'm just not doing the way that I, the things that I should be doing. And that's, it's hard because it's so easy to critique yourself. But I think about if someone else was doing this to me, I would not want them in my life. It's almost unbearable. Yeah. Yes. Yeah.
1: I've asked myself that lots and lots of times. It's really good to have moments now where I realize that it's been a long time since I've had to ask myself that the the infractions sort of you know the things that I go oh that was off I actually can when you pr- it's just like anything anything at all you practice it enough it's like working out and developing a muscle right you practice it enough that it becomes your instinct so even now when I have experiences where it's so obvious to me that I've fallen back into sort of old ways of being with my body and mostly for me now that takes the shape of um, exercising in a way that causes injury or over-exercising that's still in my, that's just still a part of my recovery where I have to check it. Um, and, and I'll get some of the same thought patterns about like, well, I didn't work out today, so I can or can't eat certain things, all things that I've been working to really work hard on unbraiding from my life. Um, but I'll still have those moments. And instead of being like, Jesus, Sarah, like you don't know this by now, which would have been the old voice. Mm-hmm. I just, it's just a softer voice now where I'm like, Oh, I see it. And, and I, because I'm in this relationship with my body, my first instinct is to tell her, I'm sorry, like to go, cause that's what I would do in, in a relationship. If I caused harm to you, I would go, Oh, I'm so sorry. I see it,
0: mm-hmm. you know,
1: and I'm, and I'm going to do everything in my power to not do it again. And so that's how I'm building trust with my body is just, again, it's not, per- this this is not a, I didn't wake up one day and have it figured out. It's still a journey. But when I misstep, I see it as a misstep and I just make it right. And then I do it again and again, because that's what we do.
0: You continuously fall down, pick yourself back up, fall down, pick yep. yourself back up. I love that. Love that. Yeah. And, you know, Sarah, as we're kind of starting to wrap things up here, you know, I always ask this question on every podcast because I, I love to hear the perspective from other people, but I, I feel, especially from you, I, I just, you've just been through so much and I love to to hear about where you've been, where you are now and where you're going. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I just want to thank you for the person that you are, A, because you're a huge inspiration to me and I know countless other women and people in the world, but you know, what, would, what advice do you have for someone who's maybe listening to this and they're just trying to survive the suck every day and, um, you know, they just don't really know where to go from here? What would you tell that person?
1: Um, some of it's going to be a little redundant from what we've talked about. But um, the first thing that I would say is everything passes. And if you're going to forget that, write it down. Put it on sticky notes on your bathroom mirror. Um, everywhere that you look, on your computer, everything passes, everything passes, everything passes. It's actually a mantra I use a lot when I meditate, um, because I forget too, you know. Uh, So everything passes. That's probably the first thing I would say. The second thing I would say is you are not alone. However, you won't know that until you start telling your story. We live in a culture that is so freaking performative. It is, it is like a constant play, you know, whether it's on social media or wherever. We are almost always asked to be in character. And um, the, the tough thing about that is it's really hard to know that you're loved if you're always stepping into a character, you know? So I don't know who your person is or if you have a person or if you can find a person, but I also know there are hotlines you can call to just tell the story, like tell the truth. It's one of the things I've always told my, my kids. I, I don't so much care that you lie. I mean, I don't care that you lie. What I, what breaks my heart is the fact that you're building a version of yourself that when you go to sleep at night, you know, isn't, it's not the truth. And so how do you know if you're lovable if you never show that to somebody? Mm. So you aren't alone, but you won't know it until you, until you tell the truth. Um, and get help, whatever help you can get. Always, 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 always. I literally, I have been in therapy for the large majority of my life. I will very likely die as a patient of a therapist. I mean, I just... And get all the help. Like I have a therapist. I have a spiritual director. Um, at different times in my life, I've had a shaman who's helped me. I mean, I am not. I'm like a, like what is it? What am I looking for? I'm like non non-discrimin- that non-discriminatory about the help that I get. If if there's if there's somebody who ends up in my field of life, who I go, oh, I, they have something I need. I'll. I mean, I'll pay for it if I need to. But um, I'm going to ask for help. I'm going to ask for help every single time. And then I'm just going to get comfortable receiving it. Mm.
0: I think that's it. Oh, my gosh. That, yes, 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 yes. I love the ask for help stuff. Um, You just said, why not? Why not? You know, it's, it's all available to us. Why do we not ask for help? And it's so hard to do that sometimes. But exactly like Sarah said, if you're listening to this and you're someone that, you know, you're just trying to get through it. Please, please, please ask for help. It's so much easier to do it with other people around you who can support you when you're when you're only able to give ten percent and they can give you that ninety percent but um something that a friend told me is reach out, but always reach in too, and I think Sarah, you honestly hit on it this whole time, but you are capable of surviving the suck you have the strength in you, but again, you know, reach in, reach out, just do what you can to get through um and so yeah. Thank you, Sarah. It's yeah, so amazing. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, I'm just grateful to be your friend, grateful that everyone got to hear from you today. Because like I said, Sarah has helped me kind of s- shift perspective and see things from a different lens and survive my own suck. So thank you, Sarah, for the person that you are. And thank you to all of you who are listening. You know, I always end with the suicide hotline, but I- I'm going to continue to do it because this hotline is a number that you can call. Even if you're not suicidal and you're just having a really bad day and you just need someone to remind you who you are, like Sarah said, you need someone to tell you the truth, you can call 1-800-273-8255 or you can text seven four one seven four one and talk to a representative that way. So don't be afraid to reach out. I'm here. I know Sarah's here. We're all here. We're rooting for you. And let's continue to survive the suck. Have a great day, everyone.